think the Bible is? Uh, a million, one hundred. Quinientos años. Cincuenta años. Million fifty, I think. I don't know, infinity, because God write it. What's your favorite Bible story? Uh, Goliath. What's about when Jesus died on the cross? Goliath, yeah. Mm, talking about courage and wisdom. What's your favorite dinosaur? It's a Pterodactyl. I forgot the dinosaur's name, but it has a long neck. T-Rex. Um, T-Rex. Um, a T-Rex. Why dinosaurs are in the Bible? Okay, so we've covered a little bit, or tried to cover a little bit about what the Bible is. Uh, now I want to respond, or try to respond, to a slightly thornier question, which is why aren't there dinosaurs in the Bible? Now there are a couple of reasons why kids might be asking that question, and it depends on maybe how old they are, but one reason, possibly, is because dinosaurs are rad, right? Dinosaurs are so cool, T-Rexes and all that stuff, and, and, and it's a shame that, that something that's so clearly a part of our world's history doesn't show up in the Bible. Like, how cool would it be if Moses, like, rode into Egypt on, a, on the back of a stegosaurus, and he's like, let my people go! You know, like, that would be, I don't know why he has, like, laser guns or something, but, like, that would just be so cool, and it's a bummer that it's not the case. So maybe that's why they're asking the question, you know, I wish there were dinosaurs in the Bible. Uh, there's also a, probably a little bit more of a deeper, more intense reason why someone might ask that question. It has more to do with whether the Bible is trustworthy, right? Because the Bible is supposed to be full of truth uh, about our world, so why? Why doesn't it say anything about something that's so clearly a part of our planet's history, like dinosaurs? Do you, do you have to reject science, per, perhaps, if you want to believe in the Bible? That could be what that question is all about. Or just dinosaurs are cool. One of those two, okay? So let's get into it and, and see if we can talk about why aren't there dinosaurs in the Bible. Well, the short answer, which I think is pretty simple, and it's the answer that, that, I, that I understand, is, is this. There aren't dinosaurs in the Bible for the same reason that there aren't koalas or bacteria or galaxies in the Bible. Those things are not in the Bible because the biblical authors didn't know about them. There it is, full stop. Remember, these were ancient people living in the ancient Middle East. Their perspectives of the world were totally different than ours are today. When they wrote about God or about his creation, they wrote about it in terms that they understood. For example, Ancient people, including the, the authors of the Bible, they believed, they understood that the earth was flat, that it was, it was resting on deep pillars below the earth, and that it was covered by this dome where all the stars were, like a, like a curtain over this big dome. And that's how they describe the universe in the Bible. We see this in a lot of different places. For example, look at how they describe God as the creator in Psalm 104. In Psalm 104, uh, the author of Psalm says, O Lord my God, how great great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light. 
You stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens. There's that dome with all the stars in it, the curtain of the heavens. You lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. They thought of heaven as up above that dome. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. There are those pillars again. You see, the author of the psalm here is describing God as the creator of the world and everything in it, but he's describing it in the way that he understood the world. Flat disk, dome of stars, pillars in the earth, God made it all. That's what he's trying to say. And he goes on in the psalm to, to describe the fact that God also created all the creatures, all the animals on the earth. And here's what he describes. We won't read it, but he lists out all these animals, wild donkeys, birds, livestock, humans, storks, wild goats, hyraxes, those are like little rock badger, rabbit-looking things, forest animals, young lions, ocean life, and leviathan, which was this ancient uh, mythical sea dragon beast thing, okay? So those are the animals that he describes. Now, from our perspective, would we say that that list of animals describes all the different animals on earth? No, not even close, right? There's, there's a lot more than just storks and hyraxes and, like, and wild donkeys. It's, it's a much bigger list. But does that same list describe all of the different creatures and animals that this biblical author would have been aware of? Well, yeah, it kind of does. It kind of does. He's listing out all the creatures of the earth from his perspective. So, you've got in Psalm 104, you've got a curtain of stars, you've got hyraxes, this is the world that the psalm writer knew, and it's how he describes our God as the creator of it all. Now today, thousands of years later, we know a whole lot more about our universe. We know a whole lot more species than he was even aware of. We know about dinosaurs. We know about bacteria and galaxies and koalas, right? We know about all of these things. So because we know about these things, does that mean that we can't trust what the biblical authors wrote about God? Well, no. No, it doesn't mean that because they weren't trying to write science textbooks. They weren't trying to categorize everything that would ever be. They were writing poetry to describe the God that we all follow, a God that, that creates it all that is beyond our description. And how do they describe him? Well, Psalm 104, they call him great and majestic and the creator of everything. And every bit of that all of the theology of that psalm is still true today, even though our understanding of what God created has expanded. People get caught up all the time in these, these arguments about, about the science of the creation that counts in Genesis. But I think these arguments are, are, are missing the point. Because when we take these texts on their own terms, as written by, by ancient people, we realize that what they are are beautiful stories about a God of order and creativity and love who's designing our world with a purpose, with a purpose, and inviting humans to join him in his life-giving presence. That idea, that idea is just as true for us today as it was thousands of years ago. And guess what? It is going to be just as true in thousands of years when people know more about our universe than we even do. That is what the Bible is all about. If you read the Bible as a science textbook to find answers about dinosaurs or bacteria or koalas, you will be disappointed. 
But if you read it as a story of a majestic, mysterious God beyond our comprehension who loves us more than we could ever imagine, if you read it as a, as a, uh, to understand how that same creator God stepped into the story as Jesus Christ to change everything, if that's what you're reading it to learn, well, then you are going to be swept into an adventure that will change your life forever. And someday... This is what I hope. Someday in the new creation, someday we get to sit down with the author of Psalm 104 and have a chat. And, and, and we'll be able to celebrate together what we both know about the things that God created. Dude, you wrote this awesome psalm about creation, all the different animals, right? You talked about hyraxes. Well, I'm going to blow your mind because let me tell you about pterodactyls. Let's pray. Never thought I'd end a sermon with that word. So, <laughs> Father God, at the end of the day, Father, you are mysterious. You are beyond our, our ability to comprehend. The, the, the fact that you love us so much, the fact that you would even create us in the first place is mind-boggling. It is no surprise to me that the authors of the Bible used poetry to describe things that go beyond what we can use words to describe. And so, Father, as we, as we do our best to, to encounter you and to, to be in communion with you and to learn from you, I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just invite us into that adventure, that adventure of love and creativity and life that you have longed for us to join in. And I pray, Father, that each one of us, as we study your word, we would not get caught up in, in questions that take us away from the point, but that, that we would find ourselves swept along by a story of love that changes everything. Father, we trust you, we love you, and we are so grateful for what you've done through Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.